Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is College and Kimball. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart, back with the full cast of characters, Alex Beth, Justin Nutter, and Clint Wilson, getting ready to yet again break down another Kansas State victory. The Wildcats taking care of business at home against the West Virginia Mountaineers this past Saturday at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, 34-17, the final in that contest. The reign of oppression and terror has thankfully come to an end as K-State ends its five-game skid to West Virginia. We'll unpack that all here momentarily. Before we do, we'll ask you guys, our loyal listeners, to do what we always ask you to do, podcast things. Subscribe to us on whatever your preferred app is. Give us a rating and a review. And if you haven't had a chance to already, you can follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. So, guys. All that said, how about it? Four in a row for the Cats. And I I guess just to kind of open it up with a broad question here, um, what was everybody's first emotion following the win over West Virginia? In my mind, it was just the relief of finally getting that monkey off your back. I don't know why, but that that was just what immediately came over me after we hit triple zeros. Yeah, monkey off your back. That's exactly the phrase, you know, to be used here. Um, losing to a team like West Virginia over and over again. Um, it, it's not like losing to Nebraska or Oklahoma over and over again. They're just kind of a mediocre to above average team. So it felt very good to finally get that win. Yeah, I think relief is the right word. I was maybe a little surprised that, you know, all said and done, we ended up winning it by three possessions. I thought it would be a much closer game than that. Um, getting out 14 nothing as quick as we did, obviously – can't ask for much better than that. And then to basically keep them at arm's length the rest of the way. Yeah. Pr- pretty satisfying win. I was a little nervous because I think I said it last week, you know, that's the most competent defense we had played in several weeks. So to come out and, and put up some points against them, that, that felt pretty good. Yeah. So we hadn't beaten them since 2015. And since then, you know, some of those years they've been better than us. And a few of those years we've been the better team and haven't been able to win it. Uh, so definitely nice to get a win against them, kind of a peer-ish school for us, I would say, you know, especially in league play. Um, those are the teams that we really need to be winning more than we lose against. And then um, just overall in the climbing era, um, <clears throat> just a interesting kind of stat is until we beat West Virginia and lost to Oklahoma this year uh Iowa State was the only team that we hadn't either beat 100% of the time or lost to 100% of the time under climb like it's just a very weird thing so now you know finally he beats West Virginia and hopefully we haven't beat Baylor or Texas with climbing and hopefully those also uh kind of go the way of the West Virginia stat and we get a win against those two teams you mentioned West Virginia being a peer program, and I think that's probably why it resonates more with some fans. This is a team you should be on fairly level footing with. And I know as far as recruiting is concerned, we're talking about completely different circles. West Virginia will, w- does have the ability to get into the South just by geographic proximity. They can jump into Georgia and Florida a little bit more easily than, than K-State can, obviously. So it, it, it's not huge in in that sense but again I, I think 
that stigma that that would have surrounded Kleiman had he dropped three in a row to Neil Brown would have hurt. And I guess that was my next follow up to this um, with Kleiman or with Neil Brown allegedly <laughs> allegedly being a candidate. Does this win hold any extra water in the sense that we uh, that Gene Taylor obviously opted to take Kleiman over Neil Brown, or is that just much ado about nothing? I feel like the whole Neil Brown thing has been kind of hard to digest because a he seems before this year he kind of had Kleiman's number a little bit. You know that first year he came into Manhattan with a inferior inferior team uh, and came out with the win. And then he they beat us up pretty good last year. So it felt like head-to-head, he kind of had the nod against Kleiman. But overall, his program hasn't really, you know, lived up to what people thought he was going to do at West Virginia. And Kleiman, on the other hand, is, you know, so far two out of three pretty successful years. So um, just the head-to-head between Kleiman and Neil Brown, it's good to get a win on there. But I think overall, it doesn't feel like it was like, a mishire with Neil Brown. Like I, I never thought he was really a legit candidate anyways, but you know, it always felt like he was a guy that was going to stay more on the East coast, the South region to me. Yeah, I'll just say that like, I have to keep being reminded that he was even a candidate for us in the first place. That's definitely nothing I've ever put any stock into. Um, I think it would have stung more to lose it this year just because I thought that we were, considerably better than them and we actually went out and played like we were so uh yeah I mean again nice to get that off our back but no I don't I don't think there's any added weight for me in the fact that we interviewed him for the job maybe if they were like more of a you know quote-unquote rival or whatever but no that's not anything that I ever would have put any stock into myself yeah well said both of you I agree So let's go ahead and dive into K-State's 34-17 to win over the Mountaineers and really just a a streaky game in a lot of weird ways. Again, you have K-State race out 14-0 in the blink of an eye, and then they push it out to 24-3 to midway through the third quarter. Then we have West Virginia go on a run and close it to 24-17, to and then K-State punches right back and tacks on a couple extra point uh, touchdowns at the end of this game to put it away. So, um, like I said, just a very interesting game in terms of how it played out. And normally we start off with obviously one of the, the big two units, offense or spe- uh, defense. But I think this week we do have to start off with special teams because I, I do feel like they really did set the tone and really kind of dictated how West Virginia elected to attack moving forward. Um, you have the big punt block early on in the first quarter. Ty Bowman coming through to block the kick. Marvin Martin scooping it up and returning it for a touchdown. That made it 14 to nothing. Um, you look at average starting field position in this game. K-State was starting its drives at its own 45. West Virginia at their 23. So you have a huge, huge advantage there in field position. And then on top of all that, you look at Malik Knowles at the big kick return that set K-State up for a touchdown. It was really just a banner day for special teams. We really haven't seen them come through and produce like this uh, really in so many different phases. Now, we, we do have to mention the good with the bad here. And a lot of people, or at least people on KSO, God love them all, were losing their collective minds about Chris Tennant missing a field goal. I, I guess I'll ask you guys 
the, the first question on that front. Is there any reason to be concerned with Tennant or is, and I just really chalk this up to him being a freshman kicker. I don't think there's anything more to it than that. No, I agree. I mean, if that would have come in a more critical situation, then I may, might be a little bit more up in arms about it. But uh, no, I mean, if you're going to miss them, miss them when they don't matter too much and, you know, learn from it, get better. He clearly, um, you know, we just watching him, you can just see his mechanics and the way the ball comes off his foot, that he's going to be a good kicker. If he can kind of uh, get control of those sh- shorter kicks, then he'll be fine. It's almost like the equivalent of like a four foot putt, I think. And, you know, he's a freshman kicker who, uh, from what we, you know, from what we've gathered has kind of been, you know, thrown into the fire here. Well, I don't know if he was necessarily expecting to be the guy this early in his career, but you know, I, I feel a lot better, you know, the fact that he got the end of the game on a make, um, you know, hopefully you can kind of roll with that. But uh, no, I don't think it's cause for concern yet. Now, if we're still having this conversation at the end of the season, then yeah, maybe, but not right now. So I have, you know, a good three years coaching youth soccer experience. <laughs> so I give, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Going to impart some knowledge on us here. Lay it on us. <laughs> I think I've noticed a little bit with his kicks is uh, he seems to hit it kind of fat a little bit, a little high up on the ball, which is kind of where you want to kick it if you want like really good distance and power on your kicks. But some of those shorter range field goals, if you hit a little lower, get more of that backspin, it might be a little bit easier to control. I mean, that's something he's going to figure out eventually. But, you know, some of his shorter kicks, he does seem to, you know, they're they're pretty like they're lasered in there uh, when they don't necessarily have to be. So not a kicking expert by any means, but if you notice his, his kicks do kind of lack that traditional backspin uh, that you want to see on a kick a lot of times, but take that for what he's been perfect on his extra points and his two misses have been right at about the extra point level. So I don't know, maybe he's just thinking about it a little bit more on the field goals. Well, he banked an extra point off the upright. That is he, true. I forgot about that one. Yeah. I think it's just, a, you know, honing just kind of repetitive, uh, maybe aim a little lower on the ball, get that backspin, like I said. Um, but, yeah, it's just going to come with, you know, just more accuracy as he does it a little bit longer because, you know, he's a, is he a true freshman? Is that right? Yes. yes. So, yeah, I mean, even being one of the best kickers coming out of high school, like, you're still just a high school kicker. So, you know, and he's a true freshman now. So these are things that are going to come along. You could definitely tell he has the, the leg talent to be a really good kicker. If he can kind of hone in and get that accuracy a little bit better, more consistent. And coach Kleiman, uh, Alex is uh, a billable uh, special teams consultant. If you want to bring him in, uh, (laughs) He does have an hourly rate. It's pretty steep, but I think you guys might be able to, we, to afford it there. So two league championships, even though we only started keeping four this year, we, we, <laughs> we all know who won it all last year, though. All the parents. Oh, at least somebody in this room does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, again, Tenet was four for four on his PATs, two of three on his field goal tries. Again, had the one miss. Uh, but ultimately does not end up to come back to bite K-State in this one. Uh, Zentner really is kind of, I won't say tapered off, but the the performance is kind of 
regressed back to the mean. He only had three punts for an average of 38.7 this past Saturday. Did knock one inside the 20, though. Now, um, one other thing on the special teams front that I did want to mention, um, a play that a lot of people probably forgot about, but uh, punt return unit out there on the field. K-State's running down there. Tyrone Howell uh, downs a ball, but ends up Sincere Mason. There's a collision between those two. Sincere Mason now, we've uh, learned earlier in this week during the Climate Press Conference, he is going to be done for the remainder of the year. And I, I, I hate to downplay any guy's contributions i felt like we were seeing him get more snaps on the defensive side of the ball here in recent weeks but do you guys look at this as a big blow or is this really nothing more than a depth piece getting knocked out of the equation um it's not a huge blow i mean when you're a team like k-state that doesn't have huge depth to begin with then uh losing a player at safety you know is a big blow especially when you run three of them most of the time um Hopefully he's a guy that will take advantage of his super senior year and be back next year. Like you said, I think he was just starting to uh, kind of blossom and come into his own. Yeah, I mean, I think Clint pretty well just nailed it. You don't want to lose depth, you know, especially in a position where you didn't have a ton of it anyway. But uh, I would like to think this will be a little extra motivation for him to strap it back on next year. So, Yeah, my question is, you know, this late into this year, um, he was the guy that could come back and play next year. And I thought, you know, limited snaps he plays. I thought he um, looks pretty good out there. You know, he's a bigger safety and kind of not, you know, kind of some of our other safeties are a little smaller. So it's nice to have that bigger body out there. But having having a seizing it ending injury that looks like a, you know, a knee injury like that. It almost, for me, it seems more like a blow for next year. Like, you know, maybe this injury this late in the season kind of keeps him from being able to play a lot next year. So we'll just see how, how quickly he can recover from the injury. Yeah, could be very similar to Sebastian Taylor uh, blowing out his knee in the last game of uh, 2020. And then, you know, yeah. still still is not really back from that this year. Yeah, hopefully he can come back next year i think that's that was my point is i don't think it's a huge blow for this year but it might be a blow for next year because he's a guy i kind of was expecting to come back next year so we'll see. and we know also there's quite a few pieces in the secondary that are going to be departing and running out of eligibility so in that sense i think we were probably if he did elect to use that that super senior season, he would absolutely be in line for one of those starting roles, assuming K-State would continue to roll out that 3-3-5 look. Who's to say that Klanderman might not come up with something different or more innovative for next year? But um, just quickly here on his numbers, 15 tackles on the year, one pass deflection and one tackle for loss. So uh, sincere Mason done for the season. Oh, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump next to the offensive side of the ball. This was, again, a very an interesting game in, in which, like, we all kind of touched on it in different ways here. You felt like K-State was in control, but they didn't really have a, a dominant first-half effort as far as moving the ball. They only end up generating 299 yards of total offense in this one, but on a per-play basis, they outgained West Virginia uh, 5.1 to 4.9. Again, not 
a huge variance there, but still, uh, you know, a nice, a nice little gap between those two. K State also, we talked about the field position game. The Cats ha- end up with four drives uh, that start within uh, West Virginia territory. Uh, the last one, uh, of course, the kneel down at the very end of the game, but the previous three drives uh, all resulted in three K State scores. So, um, I'll just ask. How do you guys just feel collectively about the performance that we saw uh, this past Saturday, both from Skyler and also from the running game? So they got off to a quick start, helped out by the uh, the interception, and then obviously the uh, special teams touchdown makes the stats look better as far as overall points. But, um, yeah, definitely sporadic on offense. Um, Got to keep in mind that West Virginia West Virginia is a good defense. Um, you know, Skyler did not look good throughout most of the game. He had that one critical fourth down. Outside of that, he did not play a great game. Uh, Deuce, outside of one run, uh, didn't have a spectacular game. He had more of a workman type of uh, performance, which, you know, I'm not going to complain about that. He still got his yards. Uh, other than that, you know, not a not a great day from the offense, but they they did what they needed to do. Yeah, the word I used to describe it earlier tonight was unspectacular. Um, you know, it there aside from the two the two plays you just mentioned, Clint. I mean, pretty much just kind of a you know grind it out. You know, run the clock. I think we possessed the ball thirty three plus minutes. Um, kind of the uh, it kind of fit the mantra of you know what K State's K State offenses have been known for. You know, did enough to get it done, but it wasn't flashy. So, yeah, that's. More or less my take on it. Yeah, my thing is, you know, they started good to get a lead, which let them kind of do what they wanted to do in games and just kind of, you know, possess the ball and run the clock down. Um, I believe we had the the possession advantage or the, the time of possession advantage by a bit, but I think West Virginia ran a lot more plays than we did. That's probably by design. We want to bleed the clock, especially when we could get that early lead. Um, it would be nice to see the offense be a little more consistent to, because it, it felt like at the end of the first half, we should have been up by a lot more than what we were. Uh, and I told you guys during the game, you know, we're up by 14, but it's about as uneasy as I could feel while being up by 14, because really our offense scored, you know, 10 points in the first half. Um Defense did well. West Virginia did move the ball, but we did well, you know, on fourth down plays and turnovers and keeping them out of the end zone in the first half. But the offense did come through, uh, get some scores in the second half. And especially when the game got tight, they made the plays they needed to make. So even if, even though it wasn't a all around overall good performance from the offense, they did what they needed to do to get ahead and play a game like the style they want to play. And they did what they needed to do in the fourth quarter when the game's getting tight and we need a big play. So very fitting uh, description there, Nutter and insane unspectacular. And and again, some, some missed opportunities in the passing game. Skyler really, uh, I felt like struggled to find or to locate the proper read in the first half. That's how I think the offense just went super stagnant. They come out, they just, smack West Virginia in the mouth with that six play 55 yard drive following the Russ East interception and then all quiet 
and uh, pretty much for the rest of the uh, the first half. And then uh, outside of, again, we talked about the punt block touchdown that made it 14 to nothing. And then you get the field goal right at the end of the first half. But that comes after you you play the field position game and you start a drive off inside West Virginia's 40. So, you, again, you've got a third of a field to work with and you were only able to cash in for three. So some points left out on the field. But I, I'm also I, I'm more inclined to here to give credit to the West Virginia defense. And Nutter, we, we had also talked about that before we started recording here. How That's probably the most competent unit K-State's seen here in recent weeks and looking at Tech, Kansas, and TCU. I think West Virginia, is, as far as how they're coached and the, the level of effort that they give, it was certainly there. With TCU and Kansas, eh, you never know. And then Tech ends up firing their coach. So there's there's a lot of a lot of variables at play in terms of the type of effort that you saw and the type and the caliber of defenses that you were going against. So in that sense, I think K-State does have something to hang its hat on and being able to generate 34 points or put up 34 points against this West Virginia team. Now, uh, Deuce Vaughn, we talked about it probably with the quietest 100 yard game. Uh, you can remember here third straight time. He eclipses that mark ninth in his career that ties for eighth in K-State history. We talked about Skylar's outing as well. 14 for 19 for a buck 38 and one touchdown, no interceptions. He did have the one INT on the play that ultimately got obviously overturned. And that's what I wanted to talk about next here. Um, is anybody else getting the feeling that Big 12 defenses are putting a bounty out on Skylar? Because this is now three straight games where something's happened. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of weird. Um I don't know if he's just not doing a very good job of protecting himself. Obviously, the one with Gavin Potter, he was way out of bounds, and that guy's just an asshole. But, uh, uh, you know, this one was, you know, like everyone was saying, was like just the quintessential targeting call. You know, the guy jumps up and then headbutts Skyler right in the face. I mean, they don't get any more clear than that. There's a very clear bias against 60 year quarterbacks in this league, <laughs> and it is on full display right now. No, honestly, I think it's just probably unfortunate coincidence. You know, TCU, that game was starting to get away from them at that point. Frustrations were starting to boil over. Potter was being Potter. This last one was a cheap shot, but I don't think there's any, I don't know. I'm certainly not thinking there's anything against Skyler. Like, I can't imagine there's like any vendetta against him across the league or anything. Yeah, my take is like Justin. I think it's coincidental. The TCU one was right after we had had a roughing the passer and a late head out of bounds that wasn't called. So I think it was just more of a, you know, it's kind of like in baseball when you're the pitcher and you hit, you throw at a guy, they're going to throw at the next guy up at bat in the right time. So Skyler was just kind of the, you know, the unfortunate victim of that one. Uh, the Gavin Potter one. I mean, when you we watch football a lot, and it's like every week there's always a guy running completely straight out of bounds, not trying to gain any more yards, and a guy hits him late. You know, it just happens all the time, and it doesn't make any sense. You know, like, yeah, there's the times where a guy kind of goes toward the sideline and tries to, you know, at the last second head up to get a few more yards because guys are afraid of getting that late hit call, so they just kind of, you know, let up or whatever, which – uh Obviously, this wasn't it. Even this one, there was another what looked like a late hit because Skyler went in to the West Virginia sideline and had a jump over bench. 
<clears throat> that I was pretty upset with that first because Skyler was literally running, you know, straight out of bounds. Granted, on the replay, the guy, you know, kind of barely just touched him right as he was going out of bounds. So not a big deal, but probably just more of a coincidence, I would say. Um, and just also, you got to think maybe teams know in the back of their head if you get Skyler out of the game, our our backup quarterback situation is is not great. <laughs> Yeah, that is a, a bleak proposition, as as K State fans know. And um, oh, just very quickly on that front, um, while we are still talking about the offense, at the very end of the game, they rolled Jaron Lewis in there following the Cody Fletcher interception. Really, what should have been just victory formation, kneel down territory, and they elect to run a couple of just basic handoff type plays with with uh, Lewis under center, and. Kleiman went on to mention at the press conference this week that that's done in an effort to preserve Will Howard's redshirt. So uh, Will Howard has played the max, the, the four games allowed to to obviously participate in and still be able to redshirt. So um, hopefully, again, this all is, is nothing more than just a talking point here on our dumb little podcast. But I certainly hope that Skylar can, one, remain healthy and be protected enough here during these final two uh, regular season games and and obviously in his uh, in the bowl game coming up here in a couple of weeks. Uh, but, yeah, just very peculiar. Just And, again, I think you guys said it. it's nothing more than a coincidence, but uh, I do think that teams are very well aware of uh, of the depth behind him. So there's a lot of, a lot of factors at play on that front. So we've spent a fair amount of time talking about the offense, a couple of other things I, I did want to note on that front before we do move to the defensive side of the ball. Um, Logan long and, and Christian Duffy pretty much just going one for one with snaps uh, at tackle for K state. Um, anybody have any thoughts or feelings about that rotation between those two there? I know Duffy's had a less than desirable season, let's say, but I just didn't know if anybody else has read too far into that. I'm a little surprised that Long hasn't completely taken over. Um, he's not somebody who's going to stand out on the offensive line, but I haven't seen him really give up anything where, like you said, Duffy has been less than impressive since he's taken over that right tackle spot. Honestly, I can't say I have a ton to add to it. <laughs> uh, the only other thing I'll mention is, oh, go ahead, Alex. No, I was just going to say, like, Justin, I, you know, offensive line is, you know, unless I can specifically watch, you know, a few plays in a row to kind of gauge something, it's not something I pay close enough attention to during a game, so, or know oh. much about to make an opinion. My outlook least... would be more optimistic if Long was not a senior, I think, you know, if this was a something where Long could win the job moving forward, but, you know, realistically, he's only got three games left so true very very valid point there a uh, couple of other snap counts to uh, nick Linners in there for 32 for k-state only uh 16 for daniel amata bay bay uh, we and we did talk about this before uh, again we started recording here um eric hommel uh the blocking extraordinaire at wide receiver k-state all but telegraphs the plays when he comes in <laughs> Do you have a thought there, Clint? <laughs> uh, I don't love it. You know, that uh, <laughs> Nick Lenners, Mason Barta, Jackson Neen, and Eric Hommel, you know, what What do you think K-State's offense is going to do when they run in that package? 
It's just, you know, power run that gets stopped nine out of ten times. That's where you hit him with the Winston Dimmel little pop pass over the top. We're just, you know, football's chess, man. We're just setting him up, and then we're going to hit Baylor with it midway through the third quarter. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's really all I wanted to mention as far as the snap counts go uh, again, a, a, a workmanlike day again for this Kansas state offense. Um, and I guess the final question to you guys, I keep saying this, I promise this is the last one on the offense, uh, Courtney Messingham's second half play calling. Anyone want to take a stab at what was going through his mind on some of these They'll never see it coming. Oh, crap. They saw it coming. I short side option call on the third and three. The reverse to Garcia at a very untimely. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, guys. I was going to say Courtney, Messing, Courtney Messingham's offense is strangely frustrating for me because watching it, we do enough to, you know, usually, you know, unless we're in a three-game losing streak, we do enough to to move the ball and score some points, although sometimes it just feels like the players are doing it in spite of the play call some of the time. But then you look at um, a lot of the stats show that our offense is very efficient, which to me seems crazy because it feels like, 80% of our, our first down plays go nowhere. And then, you know, from there, we're behind the sticks. And I don't know. I know it's just in my head, but, you know, I think I texted you guys during the game that we're not a good enough offense where 60 to 70% of our plays do absolutely nothing or lose yards. Uh, but every time, you know, KSU fan does the stats at the end of the week for the for the game, you know, he shows how – we have one of the more efficient offenses in the league, which to me makes me think like most of the offenses in the Big 12 kind of suck this year. But I don't know. Very frustrating. But my opinions are apparently not based in statistical fact either. So, you know, everyone hates Messingham as an offensive coordinator. Everyone hated, you know, Andre Coleman his one season. Everyone hated Dimmel. Everyone hated uh, Dell. Everyone hated. Well, people actually like James Franklin, the one here. He was here, so maybe we can just <laughs> yeah, steal him away yeah. from Penn State, have him run our offense. People will be happy. Yeah. I mean, another thing I don't like is I feel like we should use Deuce as a the type of running back he is instead of just trying to run, you know, power running game with Deuce all the time. Like, yeah, he needs some some of those carries to keep the defenses on their toes, but I just feel like there's still more creative ways we could just get the ball to him out in space. Uh, than just either running it straight up the middle or those arrow routes don't seem to work anymore. We keep trying to do those. Um, people have caught on to those. And the short side option, like Jeff said, by the time he gets the ball pitched to him, he's got about four yards before he runs out of bounds. doesn't make any sense, but. Yeah, this, uh, this unit for K-State, if you look at like CFB graphs and, and advanced CPA stats, the offense ranks 41st on that front. It's, it's a pretty efficient group, all things considered. I think a lot of that, though, has been the byproduct of how efficient Skyler has been in the passing game here. Because, again, to your guys' point, I feel like this unit 
as far as running when, when the threat of Skyler is not there. And we, we, we bring this point up seemingly every week now, but with the threat of Skyler to not run, uh, just going hat on hat and trying to open up holes has been a, a more challenging proposition for this offensive line than I think Kleiman and company would have hoped for uh, knowing, you know, going into the season, you were probably expecting to run Skyler anywhere from, you know, maybe six to 10, 12 times a game. And you could get away with doing that and having him out there uh, to really just stress defenses. But now that threat's not really there. But I suppose at the end of the day, all is well that ends well on this front. Uh, I'm not going to harp too much again on a, a, a 34 point effort against one of the better defense in this conferences uh, or excuse me, in this conference. And just with the way K-State's been executing here over the last couple of weeks, they've looked pretty sharp, all things considered. So that is the book on the offense. Let's move over now to the defensive side of the ball. We talked about. Uh, special teams kind of setting the tone and dictating how West Virginia started to attack uh, really early on in the first quarter. But I think the the big play that really started things off, obviously for Kansas State, was a second play from scrimmage where Russ Yeast gets the uh, the tip ball interception. Justin Gardner ends a man's life on the return. Doesn't get flagged for that. Um, but that was a huge play. And, and guys, I just first want to ask, what what can we say about Russ Yeast? This play over these last couple of weeks has just been exceptional. Yeah, I mean, he had a fantastic game. And that interception, I mean, before the interception, he was actually not in very good position. He was, you know, he gave the receiver way too much cushion and was about to give up a big play. But, you know, he got that ball. And after that, you know, he was off to the races for having a great game. Ended up with uh, three um, uh, passes broken up, including that one in the flea flicker, which was just a phenomenal play by him. Uh, he got a forced fumble later in the game, which was unfortunately recovered by um, West Virginia. But, you know, he was all over the place making great plays. You know, I think back to the Oklahoma game when, like, every bang-bang, you know, 50-50 play did not go our way. And that's kind of how things had gone for the last few weeks. And uh, remember thinking, you know, like eventually these things are going to have to, the pendulum's going to have to swing back, right? Like things are going to start bouncing our way again. And it started with that, you know, tipped ball where that receiver was going to run for a while if he came down with it. And, you know, credit to East, he still made the play. And then Clint, was it you that said it, you know, that that to, to get back and break up that flea flicker, that's, probably going to go down as one of the better defensive plays of the season. Like obviously great to see him in the position to make those plays, but I think it kind of speaks to uh, just maybe things swinging back in K-State's favor a little bit. And those things tend to go your way when you're playing well. And uh, yeah, I mean, really nice to see East kind of on the, on the receiving end of some of those, some of those good bounces. Yeah. And I mean, talked about at the beginning of the year that he's a coach's son and that's like starting to really show with him just being in the right position especially like on that flea flicker play where everyone else is running to the running back and he's the one guy running back to cover a guy who wasn't even his to begin with yeah like just a month ago that uh that first deflection either gets caught and goes for 30 more yards or it gets deflected and goes over east head and is you know at worst a an incomplete uh, pass there, but um, I will say about yeast specifically, I feel like any other time this year that he has struggled or it's been like kind of, you know, something on film where you're like, Ooh, that was a great play by him was, was more so uh, just struggling with tackling. 
I feel like he's been in decent position most of the year. Uh, just s- some of the times he's gotten either a little lazy on tackling attempts or just, you know, over overmatched on, on a runner. So um, he, I haven't really been disappointed in him at all um, as far as just being in, in the place he needs to be and um, diagnosing plays and, you know, trying to, trying to make plays like, like Clint said, just noticing that and going to cover a guy that wasn't his guy and not getting fooled by the flea flicker and keeping that a touchdown game instead of a tie game. Yeah, don't look now, but he is tops in the Big 12 and passes defense this year uh, with 11, uh, three more uh, than the second place person at this. Uh, tad- I'm going to butcher this one. Tadrian da- uh, ta- <laughs> Taylor Demerson from Texas Tech. So Russ East, again, has really come on here in, in recent weeks and, and really d- delivered at this point one of the the plays of the season that kind of turned things around that interception at Texas tech, when it looked like that game was going to start to get away from K state when it was 21 to seven and, and tech had the ball with a chance to put it out the three possessions going into halftime and K state ended up getting an INT that, that really, obviously when you win a game by a point, every, every possession that you can steal is, is massive. So great to see him uh, and, and not just him, but a number of defensive players continue to make strides uh, K-State, a couple more notes here on, on the defensive side of the ball. We talked about it too. K-State outgained West Virginia on the per-play basis, the 5.1 to 4.9. Uh, the West Virginia Mountaineers, 345 yards of total offense on 71 snaps, though, so another very uh, solid day for this unit. Uh, they have held each of their previous three opponents to under five yards per play, and they've only given up four touchdowns in the past 14 quarters. So that's, again, telling you how much this unit has improved, how the confidence is continuing to swell for them. They forced three turnovers this past Saturday, which ended up producing 10 points. Uh, And the only reason that final one didn't produce any points was because that was with, you know, a couple seconds left in the contest and K-State just needing to kill that remaining time to get this one on ice. So uh, again, number of different things we can uh, talk about defensively and one other note there is the havoc rate 17 of the 71 snaps havoc plays for k-state nine tackles for loss three forced fumbles one fumble was recovered five passes defensed and then the two ints so again plenty of, <laughs> of superlatives i can continue to throw out there um, as far as snap counts go here uh, Nate Matlack, his numbers continuing to rise up here. Uh, we know Boom Massey, and I think this is kind of kind of be the norm for him as we get ready to close out his career. Uh, he only got 19 for K-State, but I think he's going to be on a pitch count uh, pretty much for the remainder of uh, of the regular season here. I know that's what Kleiman, in, in not in so many words, alluded to in a couple of his pressers. Uh, Justin Gardner ended up getting 30 snaps, love seeing him back in there. And again, love the block that he delivered on that Russ East interception, just really set the tone for the defense. And then uh, another guy I wanted to talk about, we've seen a lot more of him lately. Tyrone Tallini uh, ended up getting 25 snaps this past Saturday. Um, any, any of those snap counts jumping off the page at you, anything you guys wanted to hit on as far as that goes? Uh, the only thing snap counts was uh, one that you didn't mention. TJ Smith kind of continues to see his snap counts uh, stay pretty low. Uh, was a pretty big fan of his going into the season. Uh, hopefully we see him a little bit more now that the safety depth has been uh, depleted by one man. 
Were we talking defensive snap counts specifically? Yes. Okay. No, I I don't think anything jumps off the page at me too much. As much as we as we've been rotating guys as an in and out, um, couple head scratchers on offense. But if we're not getting into that, then no. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that being said, a couple of other questions on the defensive side of the ball, and we have to look at a play again. One that I'm sh- I'm sure most people largely forgot about after uh, the ruling was overturned, but we have Daniel Green potentially facing his third targeting call in this contest on a play that, frankly, I I, I don't even know anymore. All, and all three of them, uh, I should say the previous two, were so close, and this one was going to be right in that same vein. What did you guys think about the hit, and, and do you think the officials got it right? From my seats, I definitely thought it was – uh, targeting, not a uh, vicious, uh, heinous targeting, but by the 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 rule book, I thought it was. I was telling everybody around me in my section that it was targeting. I looked like a real asshole when they overturned it, but I was very <laughs> happy that they did. Um, you know, wa- watching the uh, watching it again when I got home, um, it didn't look as bad as I thought, but um, you know, it was definitely close. I, uh, so they didn't throw the flag immediately, and I mean, definitely no body language from anyone on the field would have implied that anything, that there was anything amiss there. Um, I don't know. I would have been pretty shocked if that was upheld. I'm actually a little surprised it was thrown in the first place. Um, obviously, given who it was and the fact that that would have been his third, that would have been devastating if that were if that were upheld. But uh, no, I think they were right to, to wave it off. He just plays so fast and violent that every one of his hits looks like targeting. Yeah. I said it off air, guys. Uh, I fear for any ball carrier in Daniel Green's last career game, truly. So my view on it was, you know, he was coming from the side of the guy to tackle him, and he put his head in front of the ball carrier. So even if he, like, led with his helmet, he was still real low on the ball carrier. The ball carrier kind of dipped his head. Uh, he might have grazed the face mask or whatever, but wasn't a defenseless player at the time. And just it wasn't like he went ran straight at him and put his head down. Like most guys that are coming from that angle are probably going to be more kind of launching at the guy instead of when you're coming face to face is when they really don't want you to put that head down. So um, I'm fine with how it went. You know, I didn't think it was anything live, but. The, you know, one of the refs thought it might have been targeting. He threw the flag. They reviewed it. Clearly wasn't like an intentional, you know, even Mike Pereira, who about 80% of the time, I think he sounds like an idiot when he's talking about these plays because, you know, who's he going to stick up for? He's usually sticking up for the officials because that's what he used to be. But, you know, even he said, like, if it's not a defenseless player, it really has to be like a pretty malicious hit like going aiming for the guy's head like he clearly wasn't aiming at the guy's head um and you can't just subject guys just when their helmets happen to touch each other if if you did that you wouldn't even you, no one would finish a game so uh the one <laughs> thing i will say though is i was um after our first touchdown i was really anxiously hoping that they would kick the field goal because i honestly thought jack Stanine could have been kicked out for targeting on that block he had. I mean, it was a sick block, but I saw it and I was like, oh my God, they're going to review that for targeting. 
Has that ever happened? I've I've never seen an offensive player got get called for targeting. I've seen let, a, let alone when he doesn't have the ball. I think uh, Ryan Mueller, no Oklahoma fullback from Oklahoma, like completely uh, speared Ryan Mueller as Mueller's head was down, and the fullback got kicked out of that game for targeting. Because mm. Ryan Mueller was pretty hot after it happened, I think. That's why they reviewed it was because Mueller like threw a big fuss about it, but it, it was a pretty dirty play. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, again, K-State fans all breathing a, a giant sigh of relief because that, that impact we talked about, if you get the third targeting, uh, you're obviously, you know, you lose him for the remainder of the game. And then there's the potential that he could, not have played this coming Saturday, which would have been a devastating blow to this defense against a team Baylor's caliber. Fortunately, we don't have to sweat that. Daniel Green very much going to be in the fray for Kansas State against those Baylor Bears. A couple more things to touch on as far as the defense goes, and then we'll jump into awards here. I, I know we talked about uh, the pass rush going into this one that West Virginia had just come off a game where they gave up nine sacks to Oklahoma State. And K-State did get a little bit of pressure on on Jared Daggy, but he drops back over 40 times in this one, and they only get three sacks. Do, in, any cause for, for concern there, or is is that just a matter of the West Virginia scheme getting the ball out a little, perhaps a little bit quicker? King Felix is starting to look like the other elite pass rushers around the league where they get double teamed and held on every play. Um, so obviously that played a role in it. I mean, the team did have nine, uh, tackles for loss. You know, obviously there weren't all sacks, but they were getting into the backfield and making some, some havoc plays back there. I can think of at least one more sack that you were, uh, one more play where we were inches from a fourth sack. It was that fourth down where Nate Matlack took Deggie clear to the sideline and Deggie kind of threw across his body on that touchdown pass where uh, Echo Boydo got turned around a little bit. So, I mean, all that to be said, no, I don't think it's cause for concern. We still got to him three times, and we're inches away, several others, and obviously it really had no bearing on the outcome. But, uh, no, I mean, they're one of the worst in the country um, against the pass rush. So, obviously, like Clint said, I think they probably schemed around it a little bit because, frankly, we've been pretty good at getting to the quarterback as a whole this year. I think uh, the offensive line for West Virginia – they were uh, they were pretty sticky. They were uh, I feel like the double teams they were able to mask some holds. I think they got away with some holding calls for sure. But uh, especially that fourth down touchdown, I thought Felix got held on that one. Um, but to their credit, they you know I don't think we brought a lot of pressure, so they were able to double team with three man pressure. Um, and I think they did, they, you know, I, I think, like Clint said, Felix is getting double teamed. And when you look at it, he's handling the double team extremely well, but just not getting to the quarterback in time because, you know, he's still dealing with two guys. But I think he had a tackle for loss in this game where he shed a double team pretty, uh, pretty easily. And a lot of times he's still getting some pressure on the quarterback, even with a double team. Um that's what you want to see because it's going to keep commanding a double team and it's just going to, you know, that double team is should be letting either other dudes on the D-line or some blitzers get some free looks at the quarterback. So hopefully that comes in, 
into play a little bit more this week. And this defense really, uh, I, th- I think it's kind of surprising that, uh, you know, other podcasts and whatnot haven't really talked about this as much, but this is quite the 180 from where they were last year. And a lot of people were, were you know, through that first three game stretch of conference play, obviously, where it didn't seem like opposing quarterbacks were throwing any incomplete passes. You know, we're, we're sitting here talking about Joe Klanderman potentially being on the chopping block. But as it stands right now, this team uh, ranks 31st nationally in scoring defense. They were 97th in 2020, 28th in, or excuse me, 31st in total defense. 28th in scoring defense, 19th in rushing defense, and then 59th in pass defense, and all like markedly improved uh, compared to the numbers from a year ago. They've only surrendered also on the pass defense front 10 passing touchdowns through 10 games. We know how prolific all the offenses are in the Big 12. So again, I, I think Klanderman's really doing a, a bang up job with this group and. I don't want to project too far into the future because we, we've talked about one, there's going to be some departures in the secondary. We don't know whether certain guys are going to be coming back uh, next year. So I'm just going to try and enjoy the ride while I can with this group. It's been really fun to watch them play. And they've really, again, just have remained calm. They've stayed the course and they've really settled in. And I think now that there's just that better, the repetition had to have been a big help on that front. I think just knowing and playing the game more in this 3-3-5 look, they now have a much better understanding of where they need to and are expected to be given whatever alignment they're rolling out there, whatever coverages they're throwing out there. I think they now have a much better handle on that. So it's just been a lot of fun to watch them play. They've done a great job flying to the ball here in recent weeks certainly hope that continues against the Baylor Bears this coming Saturday so uh Nutter you got a point yeah I was just gonna say I think we said it when it happened that we would look back at uh Felix's safety in Lubbock as kind of the turning point for the defense and my god has that proven to be true it absolutely has absolutely and you talk about only the, the four touchdowns allowed in the last 14 quarters of play again that starting that says that a lot quarter. Yeah. And, you know, if you were and I'm sorry to those of you who are on the fire, everybody bandwagon. But, you know, here we are at seven and three you know, with a couple games left and a chance, you know, that that, that opportunity is out there, too, for a 10 win season, which I mean, who would have thought that uh, with how bleak things again seemed through that first part of conference play? It's it's amazing how, uh, again, the, the buy in has just continued to be there. And I guess that that's more of a macro level question I can put out here before we jump into awards. Kleiman has always talked about being a a player's coach in the sense that he wants his guys to invest in the program. He wants them to hold one another accountable. And I think a lot of people were starting to, to call that philosophy into question here. And, and I guess my question to you guys would be, do you feel like this is something long term that can work or, or do we just have the right collection of personalities in there where this is maybe something that might not be tenable moving forward. I I just wanted your guys thoughts on that. I think with the kind of how things are nowadays, I think it's the right approach. You know, I don't think you can run your football program like, you know, the military anymore and be like the drill sergeant. Um, There is risk because the more power you give to the players, 
depending on the type of players you have on your team, it could go awry. Um, I think, you know, from from what we've heard, obviously we're not in the program, but that may have kind of been what happened last year. Um, just some of the guys that maybe weren't a good influence kind of rose up to maybe some leadership roles in the team um, and kind of led some of the younger guys astray with um, just, you know, not not doing the things they need to do to be successful or, you know, leaving the program when they weren't getting playing time as a freshman or whatever. But um, I think it's the right approach. I think it can be successful. I think it's it's you want your players to, you know, want to win for each other and for themselves and for their coaches. You, I don't really think it's a good move to just make them want to try hard and win out of fear that, you know, maybe they're going to get kicked off the team or they're going to have to run or whatever. Like, I don't think fear is, is a great motivational tactic. I think it can win you games in the short run, uh, the long run. I think it's better to, and it's better for recruiting because that's the only ultimate goal is recruit better players. And uh, if your players are having fun and they have control and they're the right character guys, they're going to let recruits know that and it's going to hopefully steer some, some higher talented guys to your program. Just this week, they, uh, K-State online had interviews and they had Julius Brintz, you know, basically saying this was the best movie could make coming here and that he's going to, you know, he might get on Twitter and start recruiting some guys and stuff like that. So I think it's good for recruiting. It's good for, um, just the culture of the team to know that your coach has your back and you have a certain level of ownership in the program. There is that risk, like I said, but I think long-term it's the right move. Granted, if you start losing, then obviously people are going to say that it's not how you should run the program, but you know, you could say that about any way you run a program. If you're losing, it's the wrong way. So. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, in terms of how much freedom you give players in terms of control of the team, that's going to fluctuate by year, I think, based on personnel. You know, some 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 years you're going to have guys that are mature enough to handle that and, you know, thrive in that setting. Other years, if you're a little less experienced, you know, you might need to re- might need to rein it in a little bit. Um, I'll just say that for as much in the offseason as we heard about, we've improved the culture, we've improved the culture, we've improved the culture – I know a lot of people were on the fence about a lot of things after Kleiman had made his comments about, you know, staying positive and guys can't necessarily handle the negative and so on and so forth. But fact of the matter is this team's four and zero since then. And I mean, they've said all the right things in press conferences, you know, they, they've gone out and they've gotten it done on the field. So obviously really encouraging to see them kind of put their money where their mouth is in terms of, you know, backing up. Yes, we really have cleaned things up in the locker room and it's starting to show on the field. So I mean, Alex, I think you made a lot of great points, and that's about all I would have to add to it. Well, to your point, I think, the, like you said, the level of control and kind of the, the leeway you give your players to, to, to really run the program like, um, like this, just kind of being that player's coach or whatever, you do have to have a lot of really good upperclassmen with good leadership skills, uh-huh. ones that kind of need to keep the, the other players, kind of show them the ropes, what they need to do to succeed, and you know, kind of call them out when they're not doing the things they need to do. So um, it's definitely something you need leadership with your players in the upperclassmen for it to work. And if you don't yeah. have, it's 
you know, it, it might not be the best approach. Like you said, you kind of have to fluctuate year to year based on your your upperclassmen leadership. Well, coming off the, you know, as forgettable of years we did, you know, I, th- I think it's unique and very timely that we have a signal caller back that, you know, has been here as long as he has, you know, and has really kind of taken taken ownership of that leadership role. So, I mean, that's definitely worked to our benefit. You know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, in the next couple of years when Skyler's not around anymore, are we able to replicate that? You know, who might fill those shoes? But uh, yeah, I mean, that probably can't be understated, you know, given how veteran he is and he's pretty much seen it all in his time at K-State. Yeah. And the coaching staff knocked it out of the park this year with the uh, incoming transfers, guys like uh, Stubblefield and Russ Yeast and Matter Bebe have all turned out to be great talents and great leaders, maybe even more importantly. Um, you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to replicate that year in, year out, especially if they're going to bring in, you know, older players like that, juniors and seniors, uh, if they're going to come in and be able to just be immediate leaders or if it's going to take the younger guys being leaders earlier than they might normally have to be just to kind of carry over that tradition of uh, just the team cohesiveness. I do like that it seems, like you said, Clint, that the coaches, you know, they kind of um, it got away from them last year and they kind of learned their lesson to to really vet the, the the personality and the character of players. And we've seen that in recruit. If you follow recruiting enough, there's been several players that they were recruiting. And then once they got on campus, they pretty much nope this this guy, you know, even though he's a good football player, they're, they're not going to be a fit here. This isn't what we want in the locker room. So um, it's good to see that the coaches have kind of learn their lesson on that and that they're sticking to their guns about the type of kid they want in their program. Um, and it kind of makes you, you know, when you hear that, like the staff literally met the kid, did some more evaluation and decided to go in a different direction. You know, that usually happens before the kid has like picked a different school, usually recruiting misses. It's like, Oh, they picked another school. Well, we moved in a different direction. When you hear that before the kid even picks, it makes you feel better that that's the actual reason uh, that they stopped recruiting a kid. So, Love the insight there, guys. I was just very interested to hear what everybody had to say on that. And I do think, I certainly hope that as we get ready to look forward to senior day and whatnot, that Skyler and company, uh, and not to just single him out, but guys like him, Noah Johnson, Bronson Mastin, Jerron McPherson, like so many personalities that, that stuck around, that came back also for their super senior year. You hope that the younger guys are following that example, and it's not going to be an instance where Kleiman has to to reevaluate his philosophy, and he knows like, okay, this group is younger. Maybe I have to be a little bit more firm with them. You certainly hope that the buy-in again, that from the player side of things continues to be at the level that we've, we've seen this past year. Cause we can, we can see what happens. Uh, so K-State again, that'll go ahead and put a bow on uh, the West Virginia victory again, 34 to 17, the final in this one, let's go ahead and jump into awards real quick. We haven't talked about a couple of, a couple of guys and a couple of key plays in that game. Um, so, that being said, we'll start off with the team MVP this past Saturday. And Clint, I know uh, you talked about him briefly, but uh, Russ East, his effort really throughout the, this winning streak, it cannot go understated. He's arguably been the most valuable player on the defense in this four-game stretch, and he's going to get our team MVP for this past Saturday. 
Yeah, I feel like during our um, our 2.0 retrospective, we talked constantly about how important that deep safety was, whether it was uh, Ty Zimmerman or Dante Barnett or whoever we had back there. Um, Russ Yeast, I think, has been just as valuable to this team. Um, you know, we run that three safety set, but he kind of is the one that uh, tends to be the deepest. Uh, you know, he has eyes on everybody. Um, and uh, he, he struggled for a little bit early in the season. Um, but he, like Alex said earlier, I don't know if it was before we started recording or not, but he said that he his struggles weren't ever that he was out of position, that he maybe missed a few tackles. Um, I completely agree. I mean, he's always where he needs to be. Uh, if the ball gets close to him, he's coming down with the interception or at least knocking it away from the defender. Uh, and that was in full force into this game against West Virginia. He played a great game. Four tackles, three pass breakups, and the key interception to set K-State up for its first touchdown of the afternoon. A dynamite outing from Yeast as he continues his exceptional play. We'll move next to the offensive MVP, our Darren Sproles Award winner for the West Virginia game. Nutter, we're going to go with Mr. Reliable, Deuce Vaughn. Uh, really just doing Deuce Vaughn things, and but but a pretty quiet outing for him, all things considered. Yeah, he had the one thirty-eight yard run. Um, other than that, like you said, pretty quiet, but still yet another 100-yard performance. That's now his third in a row, and it seems to be getting stronger as the season winds down, so that's Right where you want to be. I mean, it's just, yeah, just kind of, he puts a team on his back and gets it done every single week. And uh, news on him, Deuce Vaughn named a semifinalist for the Doak Walker Award. Um, I, I don't think it's really resonating with, with fans yet, or at least it, it hits home more with me because I, I put this out on Twitter constantly when I was a kid. when I was a kid, when I was a teenager and I was going to so many games and watching Darren Sproles just do Darren Sproles things, making every defense look silly. And I just always, as a fan, took that for granted. Like, oh, yep, Darren's going to cut and make three guys look just completely stupid on this play. And and you just knew Darren was good for 100 plus yards every time he went out there. He he was, uh, again, obviously an unbelievable talent to come through. And we're just extremely fortunate, I think, to have that same type, that same caliber of back come back to Manhattan. And I think that's the sports god's way of saying, hey, now you're an adult. <laughs> Don't be an idiot. Appreciate this kid for how good he is because Deuce Vaughn is that good. And I think he is, by the time his career at K-State comes to an end, he he will deservedly so be mentioned in that same company as Darren Sproles. So he is our award, uh, our Darren Sproles award winner for the offensive MVP for this week. We move next to the defensive MVP and, and you know, Deuce Vaughn, a quiet game from him. But defensive side of the ball, Nate Matlack, another quiet performance from him. But he really did come on late in the contest, registered four tackles, had a couple tackles for loss, one sack and a forced fumble at the end of that contest. So Nate Matlack, again, continues to see more snaps at defensive end. He's done a really good job of producing. And again, he's going to get a chance to tee off against a pretty good one in Gary Bohannon this coming Saturday. So he is going to be our Mark Seminole Award winner for the defensive player of the game. We move next. Oh, go ahead, Clint. I just had a question on that uh, Nate Matlack sack where he forced the fumble and then ends up tackling the offensive lineman who recovered the fumble. What goes down as stats for that? Does anybody know? Is that just a 
sack and one tackle, or is that that's not two tackles, is it? It would be a sack force fumble, and the ball stayed behind the line of scrimmage, so it <laughs> stays. <laughs> Good question. Oh man, that's uh somebody uh somebody slide into the Ryan Lackey or the Kenny Lanou DMs. We gotta see what those two have to, to say about it as far as the scoring goes. I, I honestly have no clue how they how they would assume, score that. I would assume on a fumble you probably could record two tackles because say we recovered that we would have gotten a sack force fumble and then West Virginia could have gotten a tackle tackling us on a recovery mm-hmm. so I would assume he got a sack a force fumble and a tackle all in one play Clint tackle if this off? somehow ends if this somehow ends with the NCAA taking another sack from Felix I'm gonna be so pissed <laughs> Uh, don't uh, don't sell those guys short on anything. They'll find any reason. Uh, so next award here that we're going to give out, special teams player of the game, our David Allen Award winner. And uh, Alex, I know you want to talk about your guy Marvin the Martian here. We're gonna we're gonna tag team it though and give it to Ty Bowman and Marvin Martin for the punt block and the punt return for a touchdown. Yep, Ty Bowman comes unblocked and gets a. Uh blocked punt which i think i saw on twitter or something someone made the point that when you're unblocked sometimes it's harder to not overrun the punt um so he did a good job of timing that out um not just someone but bryce libel the career record holder for most blocked punts in k-state history i did not realize that yeah and also the guy who gave me my tickets to the football game this weekend (laughs) (laughs) blocking puns and then, uh, you know, Marvin Martin, man on the spot there, picking it up and scoring. Um, I didn't know who it was because I don't memorize the depth chart and the, the whole roster like Clint does to know what number Marvin Martin was. Uh, so I was just like, yay, number 14, whoever you are, good job. So <laughs> Marvin Martin just sounds Way to like be 14. Little... Sounds like a 14? Yeah, Marvin Martin, I don't know, that just sounds like a 14 to me. Okay. <laughs> if you say so Alex is very locked in and dedicated to the uh, the program here uh, but yeah first uh, first block punt uh, since the Texas Tech game last year in Manhattan first block punt return for a touchdown uh, since 2015 that game against the Kansas Jayhawks a very uh, dreary post Thanksgiving game in Lawrence. I remember watching that one as ugly as hell, but Morgan Burns was the uh, the recipient of the touchdown on that one. So good stuff from the special teams. We talked about it. They were really the catalyst that, that started things for K-State. Go ahead. I was going to say there was another Kansas State player with a block punt this week for, uh, you know, in the NFL, Byron Pringle got a block punt. Yes. Although the punt still went like 40 yards. Yeah, that was the most unfortunate bounce <laughs> off of someone's hand. But yes, special teams you. There we go. Good call out, yes, Alex. Sir. Yes, sir. All right. So we'll move next to the John Hubert Award given to the game's unsung hero and nutter. Uh, we haven't really talked about him. He's just really been pretty quiet this <laughs> the even during this hot stretch here but uh Malik Knowles again contributing in special teams for K-State yeah um 
obviously you felt pretty good up 14 at half, but you knew there was still work to be done. And K-State's offensive third quarter woes have been pretty well documented this year. So to come out and rip that return off, I think 64 yards to give us a short field really couldn't have come at a better time than we're able to cash that in. So in a game where he wasn't able to contribute much else on the stat sheet, that was a really timely, really clutch return. That it was. And um, Malik, again, we've seen him pop off in, in, in moments, but he's not really been, I think, the reliable piece that everybody was wanting and hoping him to be as far as a receiver, as far as a kick returner, but uh, still contributing when the opportunities present themselves. And I think that also goes to show you like how much more dynamic the the offense is collectively this year where we're not just looking, okay, like ball's got to go to him every time. Like he has to be option number one. And it's not to say you shouldn't try to get the ball to one of your better receivers, but I think the fact that K-State's offense has been able to churn out drives and produce points without trying to force feed Malik Knowles, you know, 15 targets a game. I think that, again, speaks volumes of how efficient they are, how well Messingham has been calling plays in company, and how well Skyler and the guys have been executing. So Malik Knowles, though, our unsung hero for his 64-yard kick return to set K-State up for that touchdown to make it 24-3 to midway through the third quarter. And we'll put a bow on the awards here with the Trey Walker Award given to our player who delivers the moment of the game. And we have neglected this one on purpose because I think we do deserve a little bit of runway here. Uh, Sammy Wheeler, the the catch was ridiculous in traffic. But guys, I, I just wanted to ask you just what were your thoughts on, on the situation that was at hand when K-State was confronted with the fourth and eight at the West Virginia 39? What were you wanting the coaching staff to do? And what did you think of the play call and the execution? I think I might just have like PTSD from Bill Snyder because I was bummed that the drive stalled and we weren't in field goal range, but like it never crossed my mind that we were going to go for that on fourth down. Um, and I know that we've gone for a lot of fourth downs lately, but you know, that's, that's one of those where you're in the perfect spot on the field to go for it, but it was still, was it a fourth and eight? Is that right? Yep. Still a pretty long one to go for. So they, they went out there and lined up to go for it. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. But before they did that, it didn't even cross my mind that we were going for it. Uh, it, it just seems like everybody goes for it on fourth down now. I mean, I, I guess I, I kind of even expected them to do it. Um, obviously, the play worked out perfectly. Uh, it's honestly one of Skyler's best passes I've ever seen him make. Uh, great job by uh, Wheeler uh, catching it. He did take a hit right after he caught it. So kudos to him. He's always been pretty good at uh, catching it through contact. Uh, you know, I the, the play call was really good considering he had two or three or at least two other options that probably one was definitely wide open and i think Polik Knowles, you guys said was another possibility he had in that play um i know uh you guys saw it more than i did talking about deuce vaughn being wide open and maybe even a better option than wheeler was but uh you know that's a play that's going to go down in all the skylar thompson highlight videos from now on um it's it's great to see him be able to make a great play like that when he's not having such a good game and come through in clutch situations still. I uh, 
I'm going to fudge the numbers here, but the play before, I think in hindsight, it's pretty obvious that this was not kind of a knee jerk, like, hey, you guys want to go for it? I think this was kind of the plan. Uh, we had a third and long, like maybe third and 14 or 15. And uh, Skyler hit Wheeler on an intermediate route to cut it to fourth and eight. And obviously, I would have felt a lot better in that situation if it were fourth and three, fourth and four. You, know, you have the potential to run it, get up there and run a hard count, get them to jump. You know, that kind of opens up some more possibilities for you. But I do think that, you know, running the play that they did on the snap before really kind of set them up to be successful there. Um, all that to be said, I mean, you guys have kind of hit the nail on the head. You know, that is one of the better throws you'll definitely see from Skyler and have seen from Skyler to kind of thread the needle and uh, solid play from Wheeler to bring it in, in traffic. So, you know, otherwise that gives them the ball with a short, very short field, only down seven. And at that point, all the momentum in the world. So, yeah, I mean, again, timeliness, you know, it wasn't a super flashy game, but we got it done when we needed to. I love playing to win games instead of not to lose them. I think we're 12 of 14 on fourth down this year was yep. the stat. That's correct. Also, Skyler hasn't thrown an incompletion in the fourth quarter or something crazy like that. I think it was that he hasn't thrown a third down incompletion in the fourth quarter. That's right. Third down incompletion in the fourth quarter all year. So, you know, that's kind of his wheelhouse is making those clutch throws and moving the chains. And um, I love the aggressiveness of playing to, you know, go score points and win a game and don't, don't give the ball back to the other team to tie the game. And, you know, just like to go back in time and go for it on a fourth and one against Oklahoma state in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that we're all still, uh, <laughs> nobody's still thinking about that except Nader, Alex. Uh, who I was has, having a good day, man. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I got to ask real no. quick though. You, you were 12 of 14 on the year. I know one of them was the fourth and 18 Landry Weber almost caught it off the ground. Does anyone off the top of their head remember what the other miss was? Not that it matters. I'm just curious. Can't say that I do. I think we ran out of clue one and we got stuffed, I think, or fourth and three. I'm thinking it was either Iowa State or TCU. I don't okay. remember. Doesn't matter. I was just because I knew one of them was obvious, but I couldn't remember the other one. Maybe Oklahoma State. I don't know. That's like one week even that seems like a game that had a lot of bad plays in it so yeah <laughs> no um alex alex you hit it on the head man because my my thought oh like oh well for oh shit we're at the we're at the 38 okay let's take the delay of game then let's run zetner out there and try to coffin corner this one and oh it went into the end zone so we only gained you know 14 yards or 20 in this case it would have been like 24 yards of field position and then yeah so I love the fact that Kleiman has, I shouldn't even say that he's adapted. I think this is just kind of the way that coaches approach, the, at least good coaches approach the game now. You you have to play the percentages and, and look at the analytics. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, that too here in a second when we get into the Big 12 games of the week. But uh, uh, but yeah, I, I love the play call. And again, there were a couple of different options. And if you guys saw one that I didn't even notice was Deuce Vaughn uh, was wide, wide open. It could have easily gotten the ball to him. But uh, my first read when I was watching it in real time, I saw Malik Knowles on the drag route running to the uh, 
to the field uh, field side, and I was like, oh man, that's your throw. And then you talked about it, Alex, too. When when Skylar typically kind of steps back, and you, you just have that kind of natural cadence of one, two, bam, ball out. And that typically to me means Skyler, the pre-snap read was good. He knew exactly where he wanted to go with the ball because read number one was there. And everything like when he ripped it down the field, I was truthfully expecting, oh, we got somebody wide open down the seam. I was honestly, I didn't, I wasn't paying attention to the personnel that we ran in there initially, but I was like, I bet Daniel Mater Bebe is just wide open, uncovered because that seems to be like our play in the fourth quarter. So that, but to see him put that one into traffic again, very, very much akin to what you would see when you're playing NCAA and you just hit, okay, uh, I'm going to go to R1 and you just wing it and close your eyes. That was more the throw that it was, but hey man, all is well, that ends well. Sammy Wheeler, big day for him. Three catches for the tight end at Alanexa, Kansas. One of them was a touchdown on a really uh, nifty design play, a little pop pass uh, that got him open uh, for that first touchdown at the second half. K-State now back-to-back weeks, touchdowns in the third quarter. Courtney Messingham is tired of everybody's shit, and he is letting them know. So <laughs> those are your award winners there for the West Virginia contest. Again, great individual efforts from all of the aforementioned. And I'm going to touch here briefly on the week that was in the Big 12. Then we'll dive into Baylor uh, to wrap this one up. So the Big 12 results, we'll start off with what most people would deem the headliner, but this is probably the most ho-hum game of all of them, uh, Was uh, is in fact K-State's uh, upcoming opponent. Baylor, 13th in the country at the time, just smacking OU, 27-14. Uh, that score really doesn't do it justice. It was 24 to seven late in this game and uh, Oklahoma ended up benching Caleb Williams. Spencer Rattler came in. I mean, Dave Aranda's defense just did a number on the, uh, that Oklahoma offense. They just sat on him, outgained the Sooners 413 to 260. Oklahoma averages 455 yards per game. So again, a testament to Dave Aranda's bunch. They were keyed in on this one, forced Caleb Williams into a, just a 10 of 19 outing with a couple of interceptions. Baylor on the flip side runs for almost 300 yards, averages close to uh, a little bit more than six per carry, excuse me. And then both Gary Bohannon and Abram Smith, as I touched on both, eclipsing the 100-yard mark in that game. So Baylor ends a seven-game losing skid to the Sooners, and they pick up a huge win. Uh, again, 27-14, to 14, the final in that one. Now, holy shit, we've got some fun ones to talk about uh, at, here. Texas Tech and Iowa State. <laughs> Tech gets out 28 to 7. Looks like they're going to blow the doors off of them. Iowa State does what Iowa State's done in pretty much all these games where they get smacked in the face and then they ultimately do have the talent and, and the wherewithal to stick with it and they end up rallying. But we see Jonathan Garibay at the end of regulation blast a. 62 yard fucking field goal which looked like it could have cleared from 80 i mean he just it just blew up as soon as the ball left his foot i mean he just blasted it and i mean the other thing too i I watched that one and i also watched um just because i'm i'm a crazy person i watched martin grammatica's uh uh, kick against a i want to say it was northern illinois in 98 lined up on the same hash very much the same type of kick where 
you know, normally when you see guys try to go for distance, they try and hit it super low. And that was not what Garibay did. He just blew, he just smacked the crap out of this ball. And it just was so high. Oh, my God. It was just hilarious to watch. But Texas Tech with just one. And this, again, just one of the better games of the Big 12 this season. 41 to 38 was the final. Um, did any of you guys, were, were any of you watching this one as it was all unfolding? Yeah, I watched actually the entire second half. I was I was actually uh full con- full confession I was on a golf weekend out at Table Rock and uh had to catch our game later, but did catch the second half of this one after it was over and uh or after after we were done golfing, I caught the second half of this one and uh yeah, I mean kind of everything leading up to that had kind of gone Iowa State's way. Tech had a pretty clutch interception overturned. Fans were actually throwing things on the field. Officials made them vacate a section. Things got a little dicey there for a little bit. But uh, all that to be said, Iowa State scored with a minute left. Didn't leave Tech a lot of time. Obviously, they got into what apparently is, I mean, what appear the entire field is that kid's field goal uh, field goal range. Because like you said, it was a 62-yard field goal. Probably would have been good from 70. And I think my favorite part of it was the celebration. The kicker was actually, I think, in the locker room by the time the ball cleared the crossbar. So, yeah, really, really, really cool to see them, you know, get over that hump and get to bowl eligibility because that would have been a pretty gut-wrenching loss after playing as well as they did for, you know, 58 minutes. Yeah, I was in the passenger seat driving home from Manhattan, uh, kind of following along on Twitter. It seemed like a crazy game, so I tuned in as early as I could and uh, caught just the that last short little drive to get him in field goal. Well, not in field goal range for most people, but uh, for them <laughs> to set up that field goal. And I thought there was no way he was going to make that. And man, I'm glad it wasn't a few yards back because like you, Jeff, the first thing I thought of was Martin Gramatica. He would have easily broken that 65-yard record that Martin still owns. That kid probably just got himself an NFL job regardless of how the rest of his career goes. Yeah. No doubt about it. like, and it was it was the purest kick, like just right down the pipe. Like could could not have lined it up and hit it any better than he did. Um, and uh, on on the losing side of the equation, I I love listening. To, you know the Iowa State radio call. I you know that's been tweeted out, and just are you kidding me? Like, well, this is just kind of what Iowa State's done this year. They've just tripped over their own dick against teams that, I mean, they were 10 and a half point favorites in this one. They were big favorites in the game that they lost at Baylor. They were favored uh, against Iowa. Like this is just kind of what they've done. Um, And and then, yeah, they were 10 plus uh, point favorites going to that game in Morgantown. Like they've not like they haven't gotten a fair amount of respect. They absolutely have. And they don't, I think the moral of the story here is don't, uh, take the clones on the uh, on the spread. That's that's the thing to take away from this. Uh, but yeah, Iowa State falling to six and four. Go ahead, Alex. It's okay because their goal was not to win a lot of games this year. It's to <laughs> <laughs> together team in Iowa State history, whatever the fuck that means. Does anybody but, nope, uh, wasn't a goal to win the Big Twelve? Not at all. Anybody ever see uh, Butch Jones when he was at Tennessee talk about Tennessee being like champions of life? That was uh, that was shades of that. Mm-hmm. And that was shortly after Butch Jones or shortly before Butch Jones ended up getting the axe <laughs> in Knoxville. So um, the part yeah. is I state fans just they love it. They're like, I love this coach. He knows what it's all about to be a cyclone. 
we don't win anything ever, but it's <laughs> cry. Woohoo. Ever again will I make fun of the play hard chart. I'll just say that. That's such a weird thing to say, but yeah, that's uh, <laughs> I'm I'm glad that we record these on Wednesday just for moments like that because if we had <laughs> done this shit on Tuesday, we wouldn't have had a chance to see it. So thank you, Matt Campbell, for uh, for saving that one uh, for us. Um, so the next game uh, on the Big Twelve slate that I wanted to talk about here <laughs> was, oh my God, uh, Kansas fifty-seven, Texas fifty-six in overtime down on the 40 acres um who wants to just talk if you have any thoughts on this I, I'll, I'll say this much before anybody else dives in i have not like actively paid attention to any ku football game other than the k-state ku game and when i saw this score at halftime i jumped on this and i watched like every play of the second half like i was totally keyed in on this one and i thought KU was just going to eat the curb at the end of it but they ended up holding on that was um that was a pretty cool moment too for uh, for the kid from plainville to catch the two-point conversion but yeah um what did you guys have to think uh, what do you guys think about this one um it was not clean football it was not good football but oh my god was it entertaining football um, we actually, I was, again, I was on that trip and, uh, there was one KU grad among us and he cared less about that game than any of the rest of us going in. He was actually more looking forward to the Texas Gonzaga basketball game that night. We basically forced him to sit down and watch this one. And by the end of that game, he damn near tackled me in the kitchen on that two point play. It was, uh, I'm not kidding. One of the most entertaining football games, not involving K-State that I've ever watched. Um, Texas could not get out of its own way in the first half. A couple of really bad turnovers, including a pick six right before half. KU is just not there yet and that they could not put the game away. They intercepted a ball with like a minute and a half left, up seven in the game, and it still went to overtime. Um, I was going to say, that normally means you win the game. (laughs) Yeah. Texas had three timeouts left. KU elected to punt, which typically I would think is a good call, but it was just a shank. It was a terrible punt. And if I recall, uh, there was a decent return to set Texas up with a short field, which obviously led to overtime. Texas had a horrible, horribly timed uh, celebration penalty on their touchdown in overtime, which cut KU's field in half. I don't think I'd ever seen that rule enforced before. I guess if you get called for celebration on your half of overtime, um, the other team can elect to make their 25 yard field, a 12 and a half yard field. And KU was able to cash it in. I think Leipold made the absolute right decision in going for two. I think on the road, that's not something you mess around with, especially when you haven't run, won a conference road game in 13 years. You know, you have absolutely nothing to lose. You really weren't supposed to be in this game anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't. Y- y- you'd be pretty hard-pressed to get a K-State fan, to, K-State fan to tell you they were actively rooting for KU, but it, it was pretty fun to see them get that done, for sure. And just like I said, innocent bystander, that was a very, very entertaining game. The other thing, uh, too, (laughs) there were so many things about this game. The color analyst, I just remember losing his mind multiple times about, like, 
analytics and playing percentages again like you know i think back to our play that fourth and eight i'm sure he's probably thinking well you got to take the delay of game and punt it here and let your defense like yeah you could do that but you also have a a streak in ku scenario that's over 13 years old like what do you you have nothing to lose by trying to go for it you know in ku went for it on a fourth down late in the game where they were trying to, to get a first down to ultimately allow them to, to kill the last about two or so minutes a clock and they didn't end up getting it. And then you touched on it, Nutter. They got the interception and then they ended up giving the ball right back to Texas. I mean, throw the book out of conventional football thinking in this game. It was just a total fuster cluck, if you will. And, you know, KU ended up coming out on top. Just again, like you said, it, I, I'm hard pressed to say that I'm I'm happy for the University of Kansas. I thought that was a cool moment again for a kid from Plainville to come in and catch a two point conversion and beat UT on their own field. But this this was so unprecedented on so many levels. First time Texas has lost five straight games since 1956. Uh, Texas had won 16 of the previous 17 meetings in the Big 12 between these two. And this is KU's first Big 12 road win since a 35-33 decision at Iowa State back in 2008. Uh, this was also a game in which Gene Chizik's squad blew a 20 to nothing lead. I'm sure there are many Big 12 officials that have received strongly worded letters for giving KU the football game on that day back in 2008, but neither here nor there. So that was uh, KU's... 57 to 56 overtime thriller over Texas and uh, one other game, Oklahoma state beat the shit out of TCU 63 to 17. They racked up 682 yards of offense and 35 first downs all Oklahoma state. Um, So all that said here, let's go ahead and uh, dive into our predictions for this coming Saturday's game against Baylor. So we know what the bears bring to the table. If you want more insight on Baylor, there's another college and Kimball episode showing up in your feed. I had a chance to sit down with David smoke who covers Baylor for Sikkim 365. Uh, and he'll tell you anything and everything you want to know about this Baylor football team and Dave Aranda's bunch uh, some great insight there. So check out that episode. If you want the skinny on Baylor, let's, we know what Baylor is at this point. As I said, they, they've got a very dynamic one-two punch in the backfield with Gary Bohannon and Abram Smith. Bohannon is second in the Big 12 and total touchdowns accounted for with 25. Abram Smith, the leading rusher in the conference uh, with just over 1,200 yards, averaging over seven yards per carry. And he's he's not the type of guy, too. He's not a, lean, a small, lean back like Deuce Vaughn. This dude is a bruiser. So the fact that he's putting up those numbers uh, tells you, again, the type of game that I think we're going to be in for uh, this coming Saturday. Lunch pail, you know, rabble, rabble type contest. So that's the Baylor offense on the defensive side. Dave Aranda is one of the best defensive minds in this game. Uh, anytime you hold Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley down under 300 yards, you, you're pretty damn good at your job. And and Baylor is good at all levels. Uh, Nutter, I know we talked about it here before we started recording. There's really not anything you can point to that's a weakness on, on this particular squad. But to that point, there's a lot of things at play here for Kansas State. We're talking about full pecking order. We're talking about senior day. I guess, how, how do we feel just collectively about 
where K-State is, their chances going into this game, because this is arguably the most formidable opponent that K-State's going to face at Bill Snyder Family Stadium this whole season. You know, K-State's surging right now. Um, you know, Earlier in the year, they had the, the hard part of their schedule. Didn't go so well. They've gone through the easy part of the schedule now, and it's uh, back to one of the harder opponents. You know, has K-State improved, or do they just play in the easier part of the schedule? I think this is the game that's going to show us um, which is which. Uh, you know, I'm predicting the K-State win, but uh, I don't feel great about it. I think that's a pretty good way to put it. We've, I mean, say what you will about the quality of opponent. We've won four straight conference games by, uh, excuse me, we've won three straight conference games by double digits. We've won four straight overall. Um you know, I do, you can go back to basically halftime in Lubbock and say that was the turning point. But uh, I said it last week that, you know, I think we would find out what the defense was made of against West Virginia. And they showed out for the most part, but uh, they've really, really got their work cut out for them, you know, against this pretty prolific Baylor offense. So, uh, yeah, time will tell, but uh, seem to be peaking at the right time. It's senior day. You know, it's another pretty key draw in Manhattan. So, uh a lot, of, a lot of work cut out for us, but I'm I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. <clears throat> yeah, my big, big thing is Baylor hasn't played so well on the road this year. Um, hopefully that kind of plays a factor into it. But, uh, you know, I, I think I, before we were recording, I was telling Justin that, you know, the season's been kind of weird. You know, we've, we've pretty much won the games we should win. We haven't really won any of the games that we shouldn't have won. This is kind of, you know, it's a game we probably shouldn't be winning, but we it'd be really nice to get a couple of those wins. You know, you want to you want to beat the teams you should, but you also need to knock off a couple of teams that you, you know, on paper aren't supposed to beat. Um, And that would make me feel a lot better about the season. Um, I'm happy we haven't lost any of the kind of more inferior teams. That's that's always nice, but uh, it'd be nice to get a win over a a ranked team. A very formidable foe. Uh, the Baylor Bears are, again, they've done just a, an unbelievable heel turn from where they were last year when they were two and seven. Uh, there was a lot of criticism surrounding Dave Aranda at that point, uh, very young and his, uh, obviously his head coaching tenure. He, he, he's brought on uh, to Baylor. Uh, he's brought rather into Waco late January. So right before signing day. So he's got to get the scramble class together and and that Baylor team just didn't really. And then on top of all that COVID trying to make it all work, uh, that Baylor team didn't really gel, but I think you see here, he's the type of guy who needs to be face to face with his kids. And you can see how they've responded here. This is one of the, uh, again, the better offenses in the conference. They're scoring 30, just over 35 a game. They're only behind Oklahoma and Texas uh, on that front. And then again, as I said, on the defensive side, uh, second to only Oklahoma state in the big 12, giving up just under 20 points per contest. So again, formidable on a, a number of different fronts, uh, K-State on 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 their side of the aisle. We talked about it senior day. That's always a big element. There's also um, we one thing we didn't really touch on with West Virginia. That team was pretty keyed up. K-State was, I should say, uh, and wanting to end that streak. You saw the guys playing with an edge and 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 talking a little bit more uh, after big hits and things like that. K-State's really not 
had much success against Baylor here in, in recent memory, obviously losing the game by the field goal last year. Uh, Baylor came into Manhattan in 2019. That's the year that uh, Matt Rule took Baylor to the Big 12 championship game, and, and Baylor worked K-State over pretty good at Bill Snyder Family Stadium that Saturday. And then the year prior to that in 2018, again, another game where K-State is felled by a field goal at the gun. So uh, it's three straight L's to the Baylor Bears, and I think that 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 type of streak is another thing that kind of weighs on, on this group. And I think, again, that talking point in West Virginia did seem to resonate because I think those guys, they wanted to go out there and in and, and that streak. And they did it with a pretty emphatic victory against West Virginia. So you, you hope in that sense that the guys come in with that same level of tenacity and wanting to, to put it into a streak. Uh, again, Baylor, uh, yet another program that you look at just on the overall college football spectrum, K-State expects to be on the same level with Baylor in terms of the on-field product. And these are the type of games that you need to win. And, and again, if those players also want that carrot out there of getting to 10 wins, potentially, you, you got to take care of business at home. And I think to that point, that's why this game, you know, the line has, has swung back and forth depending on when you've looked at it. But K-State opened up a two-point favorite, at least according to uh, Circa Sports. And right now, I believe it's down to one. Uh, but I think, Alex, you brought up a point that perhaps is going a little unnoticed. The fact that, you know, Baylor hasn't beaten a Big 12 team on the road not named Kansas this season. So they went to TCU and that's that's a very interesting proposition when you ask Baylor fans how they feel about the game against TCU when you're talking about them rolling out Chandler Morris in his first start right after you fire Gary Patterson like is that just Baylor not having any tape on a on a young quarterback and not knowing how to defend him and, and they they really just get one over on you in that game or was that something maybe K-State can look to exploit a little bit more? Uh, their other road game earlier this year against, again, a not KU team is uh, against Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State's defense did what they've done to everybody this year. They just sat on Baylor and they won that game 24 to 14. So uh, I, I think there is something to, to look into there on that front. And you, you certainly hope, as far as that goes, that there's a big crowd on hand and that K-State's home field advantage will will certainly play a deciding factor in this. Um, I, I guess before we dive into our predictions here for uh, the game, the senior class, uh, Skyler in particular has a chance to do something special here. And Nutter, I believe you were the one who pointed that out. If he beats Baylor, he will have beaten every Big 12 team. Not many quarterbacks at K-State have Still done I've got to go through Texas to get there, but yes, that's, yeah. He has to win out to beat every Big 12 team. Ah, uh, shit. I'm, I'm slipping here. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's a pretty cool distinction to have if you're Skyler. Um, and there's so many other guys, again, that have stuck with this program uh, in spite of a coaching change and everything that happened last year with COVID. And I, I talk about specifically the super seniors. Like I think about Boom Massey, a guy who's just been perpetually hurt, it seems like, throughout his career. Skylar Thompson, again, you can make that that same case for him as well. Cody Fletcher's another guy who elected to come back this year. Jerron McPherson we talked about. There's a, there's a lot of guys that it's going to be tough to say uh, goodbye to here. And I guess, uh, and I feel like 
it's more in the Clint wheelhouse. Who's uh, who's the obscure guy that's going to be exhausting his eligibility that you're going to miss the most? Mm, put me on the spot. Obscure you know, guy. You know all the yes. You know all the numbers. You know the guys. You know where they're from. Come on, man. Let's go. <laughs> man, I've just been thinking a lot about Sebastian Taylor lately, and uh, how badly I wanted him to come back for another year. Um, you know, obviously, he hasn't really seemed like he's made a whole lot of progress on his injury situation from the previous year. But uh, I, I'd love to see him give it another shot. But I'm, I'm starting to think that's not going to happen, and this is his last go around. So that's a guy I'm going to miss, uh, especially because he didn't have much of a senior campaign at all. I would love to see him perhaps get a couple of passes thrown his way on this uh, this final home uh, Saturday. So. All that said, I think we need to go ahead and dive into our predictions here and then wrap this one up. So uh, let's start off with the Marvin Show Me More Simmons selection. This is, again, is the player, uh, coach, or unit we need to show us more uh, this coming Saturday. And let's go ahead and start with Alex. Who you got? I am picking the entire wide receiver core to wise. Why is Clint laughing at me? Let's... Well, because I was going to go with Malik Knowles, and you taking the whole goddamn receiving call. <laughs> All, <of them laughs> All of them. Step up. We need some better production out of the wide receivers. Uh, all right. Nutter, you go next. Um, so I'm just going to go with one guy, Clint. Um, obviously this will probably be the most potent rushing attack K-State's faced all year in terms of like, they got two guys that can get it done. They had two guys go for over hundred yards against Oklahoma last week. Um, it's a name you haven't heard much. Uh, I don't think that's lack of production. He just doesn't put up the stats, but Timmy Horn is going to have to bring it this week. You know, we have got to keep that interior pretty well plugged up. Um, and, you know, it's you definitely need to see him live in the backfield if we're going to have the success we need to have against them. Clint, do you need me to go or? Uh, uh, no, got I'll, some- I'll change course <laughs> a little bit and go with Daniel Matter Bebe. Guy only has nine catches on the season. Uh, you know, he, he's been limited a little bit in his playing time. But when uh, he's averaging 30 yards a catch, uh, he was held without a catch last week. So I'd like to see him. Uh, get a couple catches this week. And, you know, if he holds true to his average, two catches, 60 yards, that's what I'm looking for. Good call. Good call. I am going to look to defense, specifically the defensive end position, uh, just because this is going to be a pretty monumental task in defending Bohan and a guy that can roll out, can hurt you with his feet we talked about. And then you also have the threat of Abram Smith just gashing you right up the middle. So guys setting the edge and holding the edge, it's going to be pretty vital for K-State this coming Saturday if they want to have a shot to win this one. So I'm going to look for big-time production from the defensive ends. I know um, I think we're all simpatico here on that front, and Nutter, you and I, defensive line, that's where it's at for K-State this coming Saturday. So um, (laughs) let's look next to our uh, Ben Stone Pounder Newman selection again. This is the player we feel is going to have the most significant impact on this game's outcome. Uh, so that being said, let's go with let's go with Clint. Let's get him uh, give him the shot to. Well, I'm gonna you go. Know what? With I'm just gonna pick the whole defense. goddamn team. I think the whole defense. <laughs> no, 
Uh, just kidding. I'm going to go with <laughs> sorry, Alex. I'm going to go with Daniel Green. Uh, just continue to cause havoc, get some tackles in the backfield, slow down that prolific uh, rushing attack, uh, lay out some punishing hits while staying within the uh, realm of the rule book. Or don't and hope the refs don't catch it. Sure. <laughs> Nutter. Yeah, um, Jeff, you kind of alluded to it a minute ago. Like, this has a chance to be a pretty badass revenge tour for Skyler here. Um, started it last week against a team he was over against as a starter. He's got a couple more coming up here. Um, all that to be said as well, um, you know, obviously we're going to need a, a pretty stout performance from our defense, but if Skyler can, you know, engineer some sustained drives and keep that Baylor offense off the field entirely, that could go a long way in doing it too. So it's his last go around on what's been a pretty storied career, last go around in Manhattan. And uh, I think he could have a lot to say about how this one ends up. That means it's your turn, Alex. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with the sauce boss, Reggie Stubblefield. Uh, kind of playing that safety linebacker hybrid, whatever he plays. The announcers call it the dollar. Have you guys heard that before? Uh, I did. Hear the uh, the play-by-play guy uh, this past Saturday mentioned that they just named the position. They called it the dollar because you talk about, obviously, nickel, dime defenses, and they just essentially made this up specifically for him because he doesn't fit necessarily to any one role. They just yeah. they knew they needed to get him on the field. I like it, but being you know that we are all K-State fans – and big enough fans that we have a podcast about it. That's the first time I've heard it. So I, I don't know. I thought they were making it up, but that's cool. I like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's going to have to be up there to kind of help stop that potent Baylor uh, rushing attack. And I'm sure they'll probably try to get those like wide receiver screens that he seems to like to snuff out pretty well as well. So so anyone else get some uh, David Garrett vibes watching him play? Mm-hmm. That's a good comparison. I like that. Plays a little bigger than Garrett, but otherwise, yeah. No, that's, well, a, that's a great comparison. I've honestly, I've been trying to th- peg somebody who plays like him, but uh, K-State's really never, you know, may, you know, Randall Evans, obviously, from a size comparison, more in line with that, but still, like, K-State's never really had anybody who they put in kind of a linebacker type role, the roll him back to safety, nickel. I mean, he just, he, he plays just everywhere on the field, like Garrett, like you said, but from a size perspective, I can't think of anybody who's even in the same arena. I would love you, to have him back for another year. Do you think he tells the rest before the game that he's uh smelling his finger and not slashing his throat? Every <laughs> time he does that, I feel like he's going to get a penalty. He's given yeah, a- I, I, I only recently realized that's what he's doing because the, the first couple times he did it, it looked much more like it was towards his throat. But, uh, yeah. I, I, I hope that he doesn't get penalized for that one of these days because I don't think they really like the, the throat slash celebration. <laughs> like I said, just make sure nobody sees you and all's well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, be up by 50 I, points and you can do whatever the hell you want. That's right. Yeah. Also a good call. Also a good call. Um, 
and Nutter, I, I think everybody's going to look like this is this is Skyler's game. Like the, he is the showcase player. This and everybody's going to be looking to him to deliver one final, you know, encore home performance. Like that's that's going to be his stage to do it. I'm I'm going to say though, just because I have to, I I feel compelled to go with somebody different here. I'm going to look to Spawn on this one because, again, this Baylor defense, very stingy uh, against the run. And I feel like, too, um, we know Skyward doesn't really possess the, the legs or at least the the, the, uh, the threat to run that he, he once did before this uh, before the injury way back when. Um, I think Deuce Vaughn is going to have to take some of the pressure off him because this Baylor secondary does fly around. They will hit you. They got three guys in the top 10 in the conference in terms of passes defensed. So they're going to play some sticky coverage on you. And I think Deuce Vaughn needs to help loosen things up for Skyler to have those those windows and those opportunities to make those big throws and to get K-State over the hump in this one. So uh, I, I'm going to look to Deuce Vaughn again. I think you could you could make a compelling case for either one of them. But um, I know this is still Skyler stage, and I certainly hope that he gets to deliver one final knockout performance and get a victory over Baylor and that K-State can, again, put another into a, a very nasty streak that's been plaguing the Wildcats here these past several years. So all that said, guys, let's offer up our final prediction here. What's everybody got for a score this Saturday? And let's go ahead and start with Alex. I'm going to pick the Kansas State Wildcats to beat the Baylor Bears 27 to 20. Kind of right in line with kind of where our scores have been, it seems. You know, we're not putting up 40 points ever, but we're kind of in that mid-20s to 30s range. Nutter? Um, I'm going to kind of go with what Vegas seems to think right now. It's going to come down to one possession. I think K-State's going to do just enough to get it done on senior day. I'm going 30 to 28. And Clint? I've got it. Cats 27-24. Three-point swing to the home team. It'd be nice yeah. to get them on a last-second field goal after after the last couple of losses there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to run up and kick these guys in the nuts the way <laughs> that they've got us these past couple of times. It's been so tough because those two games, particularly the ones in Waco, where K-State was the better team in both of those for large stretches of the game and just – kind of crumbled on defense when it when it mattered most i i i do think k-state's going to come to play as far as the defense is concerned i i think they will despite being confronted with a pretty monumental task and slowing down bohannon and, and smith i think they will be be live for that i'm gonna pick the cats to to come out on top in this one um 27 to 24 is my pick on the score there um, frankly, I think there's, uh, and from a, and how it breaks out, I think K-State's much more likely to see a missed extra point at this point than they are to see Tennant make two field goals. I'm a little nervous about that side of it, but I, I think K-State, again, their offense has shown me enough. I believe that this group will put themselves in a position to be there in the fourth quarter. I, I don't think also that Baylor's 
competent enough in the passing game to really run away at any point. I, I think they might have a slight edge in the overall talent department against K-State, but um, I just feel pretty good about this game, all things considered, with it being senior day. Uh, Texas kids having to come up here and play when it starts to cool off. That's another thing that we've we've seen that has a, that's a factor that I don't think people really talk about. So I think there's a lot of things working to K-State's advantage in this one. So I'm going to go with the Cats in a narrow one, 27-24 again, my pick on the score. So those are our predictions for Senior Day. Again, 4.30 kickoff at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. And that game will be broadcast on Fox Sports 1 if you do not plan on attending uh, very quickly here before we wrap this one up. Uh, the Big 12 games on the docket for the week. Uh, the headlining matchup, Iowa State at Oklahoma. The Sooners trying to bounce back after a tough loss, obviously. That is your big noon kickoff, or at least noon as far as East Coast time. It's 11 o'clock Central time. Oklahoma, three and a half point favorites in that one in Norman. Another game at 11 o'clock. This one's going to be a skunk. Uh, Texas at West Virginia. The ears laying three at home in that one. And then that game is going to be broadcast on ESPN2. And rounding out your Big 12 slate here, Kansas on the road taking on TCU. The Hawks hoping to build off of that momentum. TCU is favored by 21 points. I think that is a very big number for a team that, quite frankly, I don't really trust at this point. And then the last game wrapping uh, wrapping up the night is your 7 o'clock kick at Jones AT&T Stadium, the Red Raiders playing host to ninth-ranked Oklahoma State. So that is your Big 12 slate for the week. And before we put a bow on this episode here, Clint, uh, let the folks know what happened in fantasy. Sure, I'll run through this pretty quickly here. Uh, Nothing too out of the ordinary this week. We had myself beating Alex, Jeff beating Justin, The playoff standings are set at this point, even though we have one more game left in the regular season. It's going to be me and Jeff for the uh, first place game versus Alex and Justin sorting it out for third place. Uh, I'm a little nervous. I haven't outscored Jeff in about five weeks now. So unless my team starts turning it on, Jeff might have the championship all but locked up. (laughs) If my boy Nate Matlack gets me 24 points again, I think I'll be in a pretty good spot because deuce vaughn always always reliable (laughs) for me so uh we'll see what's what and clint uh, just personal note here man we appreciate you uh tracking all this for us throughout the season it's been a lot of fun to to watch this one and to again you never know (laughs) college college depth depth charts are very uh finicky and trying to project what guys are going to get your production versus what ones aren't it's a it's been a fun and entertaining uh game here so appreciate you tracking all this for us throughout the season so all that said guys that's going to do it for this installment of college and Kimball we greatly appreciate those of you who have stuck with us to the end here as we always say follow us on twitter at college underscore Kimball subscribe to our show on whatever your preferred app is and give us a rating and review we appreciate any feedback that we can get on the show thanks again for listening this week we'll close it out the way that we always do Cats, man. If you know, you know.